Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible class that is posted every Sunday morning at 9.30. For all of those who are not able to be with us at the building at Sunny Slope Church of Christ, and also for those who are listening in other parts of the country and literally around the world, we're thankful to have this opportunity and the ability and the means to be able to put God's word out through the medium of the internet by podcasting. And we're thankful for all of those who are listening along and studying and growing spiritually with us. It is so imperative for us to get into God's word on a consistent basis because faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. So the more that we can be in God's word, the better that we ought to be able to become in our faith from the sense that it should be stronger and continue to grow, and that it should be deeper and fuller, that we should understand God's will better and better as to how he wants us to live our lives before him and for him. Before and for him. Well, we want to encourage you to share these studies with everybody that you can. You know people in your life, probably some within your own family, who need to change their focus in life. They need to come to God. They need to think about their relationship with God and with their Savior, Jesus Christ. They need to think about their soul's salvation. Help them to get into God's Word by sharing these studies with them. You can do that through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. But make that commitment and start sharing with your family members, your friends, your work associates, your neighbors, literally with everybody you can. You may help somebody turn their life around. You may help somebody ultimately get to heaven by first getting them into God's Word through these studies. What a great blessing that will be for them, but it will also be a great blessing for you. Now, we also encourage you to encourage everybody you can to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Scroll down the home page to our podcast button, click on that, sign up for our podcasting. We continually emphasize it is free. It always will be free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help people get to heaven. And we post these studies, and there are many of them on our website. We post them to help people get into God's word and grow in their faith and stay faithful to God, but also to lead them to salvation through Jesus Christ, to help them in their spiritual lives. Now, when somebody signs up for our podcasting, They will automatically receive to their smart device, whether that's their cell phone or computer or laptop or tablet or pad or whatever it might be, they will automatically receive our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons. And those sermons are now posted in video format as well as audio, but they'll receive all of our sermons and they will receive our Monday through Friday, radio program, Search the Scriptures. And they will also receive a short, about a 13-minute study each day that we call today's Bible class, seven days a week. We want to help you stay in God's Word. And all of these can be shared to your friends and your family members and your work associates and everybody you can. Now, while at our website, people can also... Uh, download hundreds of sermons going back years, and they can download and study through 
hundreds of scripturally based and spiritually focused articles. All of that is free, and it's right there for your access. Tremendous amount of Bible study materials at our website, churchofchrist.com. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and be with us and study with us, worship with us, grow spiritually with us at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street in Omaha. Again, Sunday morning Bible class, 930, followed by worship at 1030, Wednesday night Bible class at 630 each Wednesday evening. We're going to get back into our study of Exodus. We've been going through the early period and then later period, uh, not all the way through the period uh, that we might call the latest period of, of Jewish or Hebrew history or Israelite history. That gets on hundreds of years into the, into the future from where we are right now. But we have begun with the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. We've looked through humanity's history going up to the Noah, uh, up to the flood in Noah's day. And then from there, God calling Abraham and through his bloodline pl- promising to uh, bless his descendants who would become ultimately the nation of Israel. And through the nation of Israel's bloodline, the Savior would be sent into the world by our Heavenly Father. So we are all the way up to the point where the bloodline of Abraham has progressed through his son Isaac and then through Isaac's son Jacob and and, and Jacob's 12 sons. And then for 400 or so years, as they lived in the boundaries of the land of Egypt, they grew into a mighty nation population-wise, probably about one to three million people. So now God has sent Moses to lead them out of Egypt into the wilderness at Mount Sinai where God would give them his laws and then he would, his plan was to lead them on to that land that God promised to Abraham through his descendants. Well, we're at Mount Sinai now. Exodus chapter 24, as we looked at last time, uh, and, and in Exodus we have have taken we are making some jumps now from one section to another because what we're doing is going through a lot of of the laws that God the spiritual laws that God is giving Moses to pass on to the people of Israel and as i said i'm going to let you read through those and study through those yourself because they kind of get tedious but we're i'm picking out points in the book of Exodus that really deserve our more focused attention. So last time we looked at chapter 24, Exodus chapter 24, where Israel agrees to the covenant that God was giving them through Moses. And so they agree, we're going to, you know, yes, we're going to follow God. We agree with what God wants us to do. And in fact, verse three, it says, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. Now then, as we, were read, as we were reading through chapter 24, then in verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you the tablets of stone and the law 
and the commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So God is going to give Moses his law, and Moses then is going to communicate that, teach that law to the people of Israel. Now, this would be a spiritual law, and it would be referred to repeatedly once it is given to the people of Israel as the law of Moses. I like to refer to it as the Old Testament law of Moses because it was for that period from that day, or, or we might say from Mount Sinai on all the way to the coming of Christ and through his life physically on this earth and all the way up until Jesus died on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he brought that Old Testament law of Moses to a close and initiated what we might call the New Testament of Christ. And so Christianity, we can see it there. Christianity being God's ultimate final law to mankind on this earth. So God has called Moses up to Mount Sinai, and God is going to communicate with Moses personally and give him the law, which Moses then is to take back down to the base of the mountain and teach to the people of Israel down there. Now, we're not, again, we're not going to read through all of those specific laws. I'm going to let you do that, but we're going to jump to chapter 32. And this is an important text of Scripture because it shows the weakness, I think we could say, as a whole, of the people of Israel. Now, God had already done mighty works before them. Remember, when they first went into the land of Egypt, it was famine time. Joseph, one of the sons, the second youngest of the sons of Jacob, grandson to Abraham, Joseph had become second in position of authority over all the land of Egypt. Remember, Pharaoh had those dreams. God used Joseph to interpret those dreams. And they said, basically, there's going to be seven years of great, great plenty, and those are going to be followed by seven years of great famine. And Joseph gave advice, uh, counsel to Pharaoh and said, you know, you, you need to appoint someone over at the task of gathering surplus grain or food during the seven years of plenty, store it up so that the people will have food to eat over the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh, and of course, God, God interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh for Joseph, and Joseph simply gave Pharaoh God's interpretation. Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph, he appointed him to that position. But not only just as kind of a supervisor, but he appointed him second in authority over all the land of Egypt. And so Joseph brought his family his father Jacob, the rest of his brothers, and all of their households into the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, that section of Egypt, and there they stayed. They were not only saved from the famine, but there they stayed, they stayed and grew and multiplied mightily over the next 400 or so years, so that ultimately they had become a nation or a people of about one to three million in population, in number, and uh, 
over the succeeding generations, there came a Pharaoh who feared them because they had become so numerous within the boundaries of his land, Egypt. And so he basically put them into servitude or made slaves out of them. Now they were under such persecution that they were praying to God for deliverance. And God sent Moses to confront Pharaoh and ultimately lead the Israelites out of Egypt, out of bondage, and into the wilderness to Mount Sinai, where they would receive the law. That's what we're looking at here. And Moses would communicate God's law to them, spiritual law, and then he would lead them on to the promised land, that land which he promised to their forefathers, going all the way back to Abraham. And that would ultimately be the land of Canaan, and it would become the land of Israel. Well, in chapter 32, now remember, when we look back in in our previous reading, God called Moses in chapter 24 to come up to the mountain, and God would give him the law. And here, in chapter 32, we see a problem in the weakness of the faith of the people of Israel. Now, God had led them out of Egyptian bondage. He had basically devastated the land of Egypt through the ten plagues. They come to the Red Sea. Pharaoh has changed his mind about letting them go, and now he's driving or leading his army of chariots, and they're going to probably, his intention is probably to kill a whole lot of the Israelites, and those who are not killed lead them back to Egypt. Well, God splits the Red Sea, and he leads the the Israelites across on dry land, the walls of water on either side, holding back. Pharaoh sees that opening. He sends his chariots charging the Israelites through that opening. But when the Israelites had all crossed over to the other side, then God closed up those walls of water on the pursuing Egyptian army and destroyed them. So they have seen God's deliverance, and God feeds them in the wilderness, gives them water, sustains their lives physically. So he's done mighty works before them, but now Moses is up on Mount Sinai getting the law, and particularly he comes down with the two tablets of stone which contain the the, the Ten Commandments. In chapter 32, we see the weakness of the faith of the Israelites. Let's read. When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, now remember Aaron is Moses' brother, and he was the spokesperson for Moses on a lot of occasions because Moses said, I I don't speak well. And God said, well, there's Aaron, your brother. He speaks well. I'll speak to you. You communicate that to Aaron, and Aaron will be your mouthpiece, basically. So they gathered together to Aaron. He's still down at the base of the mountain with the camp of the people. His brother Moses is up in the mountain getting the law. The people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods. What? Come, make us gods? 
what are they saying? Come make us gods or a god. They're asking Aaron to fashion an idol for them. Come make us gods that shall go before us. What? Make an idol for us. An idol that we can worship as a god to go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now, how long had Moses been up in that mountain? Well, an extended period of time, but not all that long. We're not talking about years or months here. A few weeks, probably. And they're getting antsy. They're getting anxious. He's their leader as they see him, a physical leader. They haven't seen him for several weeks. What's happened to him? Well, they want some visible symbol of a god that can go before them and lead them. And so they tell Aaron, make us a god. Make us an idol that, may, that, that shall go before us. Now, you, you think about this, and you, you think from a logical perspective, how foolhardy is this? You want Aaron? You've just been delivered by the only God. You've been given the Ten Commandments with the opening ones emphasizing that there is none but one God and don't have any idols before me. And now they're asking Aaron to make them an idol, that he may go before them. Had they not thought about an idol is immobile? <laughs> on its own. An idol can't move anywhere or go anywhere. Somebody has to carry it along if it's going to have any movement whatsoever. But they're looking for some kind of symbol. So they want to see an idol and look upon that idol as a god to lead them, to lead them along the way. Now, this was a problem for the Israelites that went on for hundreds of years, literally. Now, going back all the way probably to Abraham, he was living in an area where almost undoubtedly it was steeped in idolatry. And you look at Jacob, and idolatry was existent there within the household to some extent. And, and so they lived in the land of Egypt, which was an idol-worshiping people. And so they saw idolatry around them there. And I suspect they took part in it themselves to some degree or another. Now, maybe not every Israelite, but I imagine a whole lot of them did. And now they're out there in the wilderness at Mount Sinai. Their leader, they haven't seen him for a few weeks, and they want some, well, they want some assurance, some sense of security. They want a visible leadership. And so they go to Aaron and say, make us an idol. Come make us gods or a god that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Again, how shallow in their faith, how foolhardy in their reasoning. They've already been told in those Ten Commandments, do not have any other gods before me. An idol is nothing. 
Again, an idol was not going to lead them. Somebody would have to carry it along. Verse 2. And this is somewhat shocking, too. How, what was Aaron's response? Now, Aaron was the spokesperson for Moses. God would speak to Moses, and Moses would pass it on to Aaron. And in many cases, Aaron would then pass it on to, well, Pharaoh himself, or maybe the people of Israel, maybe, by this time. But he certainly has a position of prestige, and he's also going to be the first high priest of the Israelites by God's guidance. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in, the ear, which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. A molded calf. Then they said, this is, then, then, then he said, or they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. What? What? Now, did Aaron say that? Well, it says they said. So the people looked upon this and broadcast to the rest of the congregation, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. What? And the word translated Lord there in English is Yahweh. Yahweh. The name that God gave to Moses to tell the Israelites what his name is. I am that I am. Tell them I am sent you. Yahweh, translated in English as Jehovah. And so Aaron says, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. But he's just made this golden calf for them. And they have proclaimed it to be the God that brought them out of Egypt. And Aaron has built an altar for it. You wonder about Aaron's faith. You wonder about his dedication. He accommodates the people. He doesn't tell them, no, no, this is wrong. Don't do this. You know, Moses Moses, okay. God has led us this far. God has taken care of us. He'll continue to take care of us. No. He accedes to their wishes and fashions a golden calf. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 20. Verse 1, and God spoke all these words, saying, now these are the Ten Commandments. We're not going to read through all of them, but I want to read through those that are pertinent to what we have seen done and read about having been done in chapter 32, where, Moses, where Aaron makes the golden calf. And the people proclaim it to be the God that led them out of Egypt. Now how hypocritical is that? God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, 
nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Well, what Aaron did, what the people proclaimed, was in direct violation of those opening commandments. This golden calf image they proclaimed to be the God violated. The God that led them out of Egypt violated the commandment. You shall not make any graven image, any image of anything on this earth. Well, a calf is something on this earth. And again, when it was finished, it did nothing. It was nothing until Aaron fashioned it into that gold calf. And then it could do nothing on its own because it was just an image that he fashioned out of gold. So somebody had to pick it up. Aaron had to make an altar for it himself. And he did all that. And then Aaron proclaimed the next day to be a feast to the Lord. How in the world could Aaron have gone along with all of that? Could he have felt maybe under threat for his safety and well-being, maybe for his own life, if he didn't go along with the people? Well, maybe. But remember what Jesus said in Revelation 2 and verse 10, be faithful until death. I actually like the King James translation there. Be faithful unto death. The idea being all the way up to even giving your life for your faith and I will give you the crown of life. It would seem that we see Aaron faltering in his faith mightily here. He goes along with the crowd. He does what they want him to do. He makes this image that they are going to proclaim, that they do proclaim as being a God, the God that led them out of Egypt. What in the world was in their heads? Talk about a lack of appreciation, a lack of glory given to God, the only true God. They're giving that glory to an image of a calf. And Aaron seems to be going along with them. Verse 6, then they rose early and the next day offered burnt offerings offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They offered offerings to this calf, this image of this calf. My, what a short memory? Uh, no, I think they remembered everything that had happened. But what a short memory as far as dedication is concerned to God, the true God. And the Lord said to Moses, go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Yeah, they've corrupted themselves all right by breaking part of the Ten Commandments. They've gone back into idolatry. 
They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. My, my, what an insult to God. After all that God had done for them and before them, showing his power and his majesty and the fact that he is the true God, and they insult him this way by having Aaron fashion this golden calf and then bowing down to it, offering sacrifices to it, and proclaiming it to be the God that led them out of Egypt. How horrible. How unfaithful. How short on dedication and thankfulness. How dishonorable to themselves. God, of course, knew exactly what was happening because he's God. He's all-knowing. He's all-seeing all the time. And he saw what was going on in the camp of Israel. And he told Moses, get down there. Your people have brought, the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. And indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make you, of you, a great nation. So, God is telling Moses, I'm going to destroy them, and I'm going to begin again from scratch with you. And from your seed, or your descendants, I'll build a new nation. Now you might say, wow. Well, remember, God has already done that once in history. But not just the nation of Israel. He began humanity all over again in the days of Noah. He destroyed all the rest of the people, because the thoughts and intents of their heart were only evil continually. They had become so wicked that God destroyed mankind, except for the family of Noah, and began again from scratch with them. Now, he is issuing that judgment upon Israel at this time, upon the people of Israel, now Moses pleads with him in verse 11, and God relents. But the people of Israel have to learn the lesson. We'll pick up next time with verse 9, and we'll move on through chapter 32. A lesson we all need to learn and take to heart and live by. God is God. There is no other. And we need to respect him. He has loved us and blesses us so much. Every good gift and every perfect gift that we enjoy in life, that's a blessing from God, James 1 and verse 17. And we need to respect him. We need to revere him. And we need to honor and glorify him through our lives, lived in obedience to his teachings. Israel needed to learn that lesson. 
But Israel was not alone. People all over the world today need to learn that lesson as well. It lets us learn and take to heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us these lessons that guide us in your will and help us, or at least they should help us, to steer away from making the same kinds of mistakes that people in these lessons written down for us in Scripture made in ancient days. Help us to learn to be wise and to stay true to you. We pray for souls, Father. We pray for our souls. Please forgive us and hear our prayer. Gracious Father, in Jesus' name, amen.